everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm this week's host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Adam Vitali. Hello. We're shorthanded today. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. So it is the three of us uh, holding down the fort here today. Of course, this is my first time back in a few weeks. I've returned just from my um, my trip that I was doing for my day job. So thank you to, he's not here, but uh, thank you to Josh and of course all the rest of the crew for keeping everything going while I wasn't, uh, wasn't here to record. So Josh is not here this week because he is up at PAX West covering all sorts of information there for us. Um, some of the information there is for announced games that have maybe already filtered into the news post. Some of it will come out over the next couple of weeks or so. But Josh is in for, th- for this month, our boots on the ground, making sure that we get all the coverage there in person, including some really neat interview opportunities. So that's kind of cool. We'll yeah. catch up with Josh either, either next week or the week after week after for all the things he's seeing up in uh in seattle this week yeah there's a lot of indie stuff but there's also like like he played the uh the like a dragon gaiden game he played a demo for persona 3 reload i believe there was a demo for star ocean 2 remake so there there's some interesting things up there some interesting opportunities if you're in seattle and then chow is just helping a friend uh, with an with an obligation that he was doing this Saturday. So maybe we'll have the full crew next week. Maybe we won't. We'll see as we roll on into September. So uh, September, as we all know, is a very packed month, especially for RPG fans. I think on our Twitter account, if you're still able to follow it, um, Adam just recently put out the September release list. And it's quite long. So this this month has a little bit of something for everyone. And that's, you know, people are still like, I haven't finished Baldur's Gate yet. Some people are still jumping into, um, not quite under our coverage window, but, you know, Armored Core literally just came out. So we're all, we all have a lot on our plate right now. But uh, we're going to go into this podcast talking about three new releases. Um, starting out with a, probably the obvious one and then going into some, uh, you know, smaller titles here. And then outside of that, there's really no major theme this week in terms of like news announcements or coverages. We just have kind of a a smattering of new announcements, nothing nothing uh, world shaking, but some new announcements for some upcoming games coming out next year. And then we have a bunch of trailers. A lot of these are like story related trailers for games that are coming out later in September or October. And then uh, a few release windows at the very end. No real theme to any of it. So we'll just kind of bend them by type of news and go on from there. To start out this podcast, we are going to start out with the obvious thing here. And that is, of course, the release of Starfield. So Starfield, for those that have the regular edition of the game, we're recording this podcast on September 2nd. It comes out on, I believe, the 6th. However, the embargo did lift a couple days ago. Those that got the premium special edition were are able to access it early. And Alex Donaldson wrote our Starfield review for us up on RPGSite.net. So go ahead and do give that a read once you've listened to this podcast. Um, Alex couldn't join us this week. Uh, he had a family obligation. He might be able to join us next week, but he's hard, he's hard to wrangle. So uh, no, no guarantee on that. But James was also able to get um, some early access to Starfield. So, James, from a distance, I saw you and Alex talking in the back about, you know, your thoughts on the game, some coverage ideas. Uh, You obviously covered a pretty interesting find that you put up on the site as kind of like advice to players going into Starfield. 
But just talk about uh, your experience with the game in general. I don't know if this is a game you're really excited for, or if you've played a lot of other Bethesda games, or if you're more excited about the space exploration theme of this game. Uh, just go ahead and take us away with uh, your thoughts on Starfield. So here's the thing. I probably wasn't... Well, no, I have Game Pass, so I was probably going to play it anyways, because why not? Uh, but I've never really been a Bethesda fan. Like, I've played a bit of Morrowind. I played a cut, like, maybe like a dozen hours of Fallout 3 when I had a 360 back in the day. But I've never really been a big fan of, like, Bethesda games. Uh, so, essentially, Starfield was the first Bethesda game I've really sunk some, like, serious time into. And, like, looking at my uh, playtime now, well, at least the Xbox app says that I've put somewhere close to 100 hours. Let's see, what's it say? Yeah, four days, seven hours, and 14 minutes. So That seems about right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as someone that hasn't played a Bethesda game before, I guess... On one hand, I went into this without any real expectations because I just didn't know what to expect. Like, again, like I've played a little bit of Fallout 3. I've played a bit of New Vegas, so that's an Obsidian game. Uh, but uh, overall, just went in and I guess I could see it for what it was or whatnot. Um, so what do you think is the game's like biggest strength, I guess? Like, what's the best part about it? The side quests? And, I, and from what I can understand, that's like been a consistent theme with Bethesda games is that the side quests are the best part of it. Uh, there is some good aspects of the main quest, too. There's a few specific uh, little set piece, um, set piece events that are interesting. There's one for a main story quest called Entangled. Um, it's pretty late in the game. It's like one of the last ones you'll do. And that has a really, really neat gimmick that I uh, think a lot of people are going to end up enjoying quite a bit. Uh, but the side quests, whether it comes down to the UC Vanguard uh, quest that deals with this like Xenomorph type thing called a Terror Morph. Uh, there's the Freestar Rangers quest that deals with... Uh, like a political, like a sort of conspiracy type deal. There's the um, Ryujin Industries, like actual like espionage and like uh, whatnot themed side quests. And a lot of it, the interesting thing is it's not just un like a, a lot of times in like an open world RPG like this, you'll you like side quests will be mostly just the narrative and there's it doesn't really do too much interesting in the world itself but some of these actually do take good advantage of the gameplay systems that starfield has for example ryujin industries like the whole deal with it is is that they want you to basically sabotage competing like companies and the way you do that is you like they'll give you something and they'll be like hey so find a way to get this on their computer without getting caught in or out and stuff like that. And I but, assume uh, there's various outcomes depending on how you achieve this or not. Yeah. Yeah. So and, tee us up here. So I like, I, I was actually just behind some behind the scenes stuff. I was originally slated to review this game, but couldn't because of my, uh, my day job work trip. So I ended up kind of having shuffling a little bit of the responsibilities around. So I've played not not a lot of Bethesda games, but I played Fallout 3, Fallout 4. Um, I've played uh, Skyrim, 
put about like 150 hours into that. So in those games, you kind of start out with some sort of you're, you're in a disadvantaged position as someone who effectively is like a nobody. You don't really you don't go into the game with any sort of history. And I know Fallout 4 actually is the only one where it actually kind of gives your character a family. And it's like that was even just a little bit of setup for who your character was. Some people thought was that kind was pretty, of too that was much sort of controversial back in the day. Maybe some yeah, they're like, I don't like, yeah, like I can't role play if I if I know I'm looking for my 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 kids or whatever or my or my dead spouse. I forget exactly the setup of the game. So in Starfield, does it set up like your character uh, in any way in terms of like their history, or is it truly blank slate? Um, it is. Go ahead. It is mostly a blank sl slate, and you can actually choose different backgrounds and traits that uh, really helps you like role play what uh, sort of background your character has. The only thing that is going to be the same for everyone playing this game is that you start off uh, doing a gig in a mining operation on a planet called Vectera. That is the only thing that's going to be the same for everyone. But like your background beyond that is uh, something that you set up. So is that like just picked out of a list in terms of like, uh, you know, I'm spacer or I'm merchant or something like that. I know some of this might have been covered in the pre-release material, but I don't remember offhand. Well, I assume the background thing is kind of like, you know, Mass Effect had it. Um, Baldur's Gate sort of has oh, yeah, it. The, where it's just, I did it, see it affects, someone it like, affects a few uh, dialogue choices and perhaps, you know, for certain quests, you might have certain, you know, options available to you depending on your background is my assumption yeah yeah you will um and sometimes it can be interesting for example completing the free star rangers quest line will give you the attribute like free star ranger and there's been a few a uh, few instances where i've been able to use dialogue options related to that that has uh, helped me in certain situations and same thing with the uc vanguard same thing with the region industry so it's like as you're going through these major side quest chains, and you can tell when a side quest chain is major because it has a unique icon. Cause like normally you kind of have like a blue like checkbox that lets you know this is a side quest. And then there's like a green triangle if it's like a smaller like activity type thing. And but if it's a larger like side story with uh let's say like a dozen or so like objectives, then um it's going to have a unique icon to go along with it. So uh, I haven't played this game. I bought it. I bought, I bought the, I bought the expensive edition so I could play it early and that's not happening just because of time, of course. But um, I see some criticisms about like planets being barren and there's a thousand of them. Like, what is that actually? Like, I, I, just, I don't have any context other than people are like, there's a thousand planets and there's nothing on any of them. And like, that seems extreme. Well, here's the thing. There's like a thousand planets, but much like in real life, only a certain amount of them are like habitable. So, do you have a Mass Effect like planet scanning game for the ones that aren't? Uh, well, you can still like go onto an inhospitable planet and see, hey, what sort of resources can I mine here? I can set up an outpost and still try to like, even if there's like no flora or fauna on a planet because it doesn't have any oxygen or anything like that, uh, there still might be a reason to visit it. Uh, but um, yeah, a lot of planets, like even the populated 
planets, even the ones with a lot to do, there's specific points of interest that you can explore. But obviously, since a planet is huge and there's a lot of thing like and whatnot, most areas on every single planet is going to be essentially completely barren. Like you can go in, like if if there is like plants and animals on a planet, you can go in, you can like check each biome and there's like specific like plants and animals for each biome that you can find. There's like different features you can find with a scanner, you can like mine and all, all that. But the majority of the game isn't going to necessarily be like, well, I think one of the problems that a lot of folks are going, going to run into of Starfield is that they've probably have a specific idea about what type of game it is and uh it's not really a planetary uh, exploration game like you can land on planets and look look around but even like no man's sky is probably going to have more interesting like generated environments with different like attributes for each planet this is much more about like Starfield's universe and star map is more of a backdrop for the usual Bethesda flare. And some people are going to be disappointed by that. Some people, myself, actually the fact that it is a bit more focused and it's, and like all the extra planets out there are just like the equivalent of like radiant quests is something I'm actually, uh, happier with just because it means that i can i mean i haven't heard that term in a while radiant radiant quest another bethesda you know that was one of the big marketing things for skyrim which i think completely fell flat uh but you better one of those things you just end up ignoring or at least i did maybe maybe someone out there really found them enjoyable and i i when so yeah starfield i'm really glad we get the chance to speak to you and hopefully alex next week about what it actually is because kind of wading through the response to the game as the embargo lifted has been a bit tricky. Um, you know, there's certain people who have played a lot of Bethesda games, but are hoping this game would feel more different than it does. For some people, it fits like a glove and they're saying this is, you know, clearly Bethesda's formula, but polished, um, relatively speaking, to the best extent that they've, that they've accomplished yet. Some people, I think, I saw one person disparagingly compare starfield is like this is more like mass effect and not like no man's sky i'm like well mass effect was pretty rad so i'm okay with that um but uh and i remember thinking like um even uh the outer worlds which was like this double a obsidian indie kind of bethesda like game i also saw people compare to mass effect and that game uh i thought did have a format that i really enjoyed i just didn't like the writing quite as much in that so i don't know it's one of those things where I think a lot of the disappointment might stem from the way the game was marketed as like the, you know, build your spaceship. There's a thousand planets like, oh, wow, that's like No Man's Sky. Only it's not really quite like No Man's Sky. Um, But does that mean that the quality of the game is less or more? No, it just means like misaligned expectations. Uh, So in terms of like, I won't say the story, because as you've mentioned, some of the side objectives or the side quests are more compelling and more interesting than the main quest. But just in general, like, the, the writing, uh, dialogue, interfacing with NPCs, like how do, are you spending a, like hours at a time not talking to anyone? Is there a lot of dialogue? Just how, like, how does that feel going throughout the game? Um, so there are like in specific spots in uh, Starfield, there is like obviously cities like uh, they 
they showed off some like Aquila, New Atlantis, Neon. Uh, there's some other smaller like uh, settlements like Hopetown, um, Paradiso, stuff like that. Uh, there obviously is going to be a lot of like um, people you talk to, a lot of side quests you pick up, and dialogue you have in those specific locations. And then obviously there's Constellation, which is your group of friends. And from basically the word go, you have like half a dozen, maybe a bit more than half a dozen like uh, companions that you can just swap in and out or add to your ship crew or whatever you want to do because they're just there from the get-go. And it's like, it's very interesting because it's like, Again, I haven't played Skyrim or too much of it, but it's like at the beginning of a normal Bethesda game, you're kind of on your own, whereas that's not the case in Starfield, which is really weird when you think about the fact that this is the spacefaring, exploration-focused Bethesda game, where you would think the whole, like, oh, just you and the unknown would be, like, a big idea with it, but no, you have Constellation, which is just this... There's a lodge, there's like a bunch of different rooms for people. There's just you just walk in and there's like a bunch of NPCs, all with like names and and whatnot that you can talk to from the word go. And it's kind of interesting because that like I wasn't looking at the marketing for this, so I wasn't expecting to just be kind of like surrounded by these uh, different characters so early on. And I guess that one expectations, I don't know if anyone could have been planned expecting one thing or another, because at least to my memory, Fallout games, having the companions is a pretty normal part. You get two companions, I believe for Fallout 3, one of them had to be the dog. You'd have a uh, dog meat and then one of their companions. And then in Fallout uh, 4, you could actually have two human companions. I might be getting that uh, mixed up. But in Skyrim, I know eventually you can get one companion, but if I remember right, it's like late in the game, they're like a person that you hire. It's been so long, so I hope, I hope someone who has played Skyrim more recently is not like, oh, you know, he doesn't even know what game he's talking about. But you do eventually get one, but I still think, when I think of my time with Skyrim, it was like 90% by myself. And when I think of my time with Fallout 3 and 4, it's almost 100% of the time with companions. So kind of Bethesda's kind of gone both ways on that. So yeah, you're yeah the fact that you have the companion crew really early on in Starfield does, at least just hearing it described that way, make me think of, oh yeah, I guess that is like Mass Effect in a way, of course, with the crew there and the party members there. So how does the gameplay feel? Are you mostly playing in first person or, or are you playing uh, in the Bethesda jank third person view? <laughs> Uh, funnily enough, their third person view this time around, at least is, uh, not super jank. It's actually, oh, that's pretty, good, it's actually a pretty decent way of uh, playing the game. Uh, generally what I've been doing is, uh, whenever I'm not in combat, I'm third person. And then when I am in combat, I switch to, to first person. Well, that's uh, good. Yeah. I don't want to be too disparaging, but yeah, I, I, I just have always just defaulted to playing those games in first person so much so where I'm just like, I sometimes even forget there's a third person option, but then I, when, um, what game was it where the oh yeah it was cyberpunk um where they announced back in 2019 or so that it was going to be a first person rpg and so many people were like man i have absolutely no interest because they get sick playing in first person or they rather they get more immersed playing in third person so point designing your characters so much if you can't actually see them in game you can go to the bathroom and see it in a mirror duke nukem style <laughs> but yeah um yeah and i one part about cyberpunk 
it does like have a, a moment at the end where it leverages that a little bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the the new DLC or all the updates to the game have tweaked my the experience at any way. We'll talk about that later in the month. Mods for like Fallout or whatever, um, or maybe it was Oblivion, and they're always they were always so janky, like people wanting to make well, papers and mods. Well, in Skyrim uh, and Fallout, there is a natural third person. It's just in those games, it was very rudimentary, at least in my opinion. That's why I call it janky. So it sounds like for Starfield, they've kind of cleaned it up a bit in terms of that. So uh, what sort of build did you end up going for, James? Are you doing uh, any sort of like, like, I don't even know like what the build options are. I'm assuming there's like a skill related, more techie role. Then I assume there's like combat focus skills or is it, or is it not like that at all? I'm making some assumptions here. So the way that skills work in uh, Starfield is uh, you have like different skill trees. Uh, so I think it's uh, I don't know them off the top of my head. There's five of them. One of them's tech. One of them's science, which are two different things, which is funny. Uh, one of them's combat. One of them's uh, social, I believe, and then one of them's like uh, just uh, deals with like like physical stuff. I forget the exact name for it. Uh, but the way that skills work is um, every time you level up, you get a skill point, and that skill point can be put towards any one of the skills on those trees. Sort of. Okay. At first, so each of these skill trees are kind of split into tiers. They're like, a, they're like layered like a cake. Um, and at the start, you can only invest in the first tier of any of these tech, uh, any of these skill trees, uh, um, skills. And if you want to invest in any of the later tiers, you need to invest in a certain number of skill points in the earlier tiers. Now that can be what that can be just unlocking a skill. If you really want to focus in on something, you can do skill challenges, and once you've completed them, you can then invest another skill point in the skill to improve it. And that'll count for um, the tally you need to start like investing in the later skills on those trees. Um, it's it's an interesting progression system. It's definitely fairly simple, but it's not in a, not in a bad way. Um, one thing that's interesting though is that there's a lot of these different skills. But if you want to do some pretty basic stuff that I feel like pretty much anyone playing this game is going to want to do. Uh, some of them real will really require you to go heavy on a certain skill tree. Like if you want to really invest in shipbuilding, then you need to go really deep into the tech tree because shipbuilding as a skill is locked behind a tier three tech tree thing, which means that you have to invest something like 10 skill points into tech alone before you even can unlock shipbuilding. And then obviously like there's going to be other skills you want from other trees. So it's, it's going to be one of those things where I guess it's kind of a good thing that for a game like Starfield, that's as big and as, has as much content that there is like, you can look at the skill trees and you can just say, okay, that skill at the bottom of this tree is going to be a long-term goal for me. And maybe you won't actually be able to get to that skill for another like 20, 25 hours. If you beeline it, not to mention the fact that if you don't beeline it and you're also going to like spread yourself across like different skills, it might take even longer. Um, so I like I like the idea though of having to specialize and you can't just be good at everything. Like if you want to be good at building ships, you do have to invest in this tech tree and you can't just like easily spec into it. I like the like that's true, you know, RPG, you know, payoff there, and you can't just 
spec into everything and be a master of, you know, a master of all trades. Is there like, um, is there like an attribute system? Like a, like in Fallout, there's the specials, um, strength, perception, charisma, intelligence, whatever. No, there isn't. Okay. Um, so it's just, it's, it's based on the, the, basically the skill trees. Yeah. The other aspect of it is that you have gear and you can install mods on gear to uh, improve them in some ways. So that, that's, um, your spacesuit. That's your like, uh, actual like internal, like shirt, uh, or, apparel or whatnot that's your like helmet that's your boost pack and obviously you can add like specific mods to your weapons so it's like a lot of improve a lot of like improving your attributes in this game outside of like just skill stuff which is like more of like a horizontal progression rather than the well no, no i wouldn't even say horizontal progression you're still like getting stronger in a sense but as far as like base power or base like like stats like defense vitality any of that sort of stuff you don't really have that but rather it's like i guess one of the reasons to explore all these planets even the ones that are barren is to create outposts so you can get like um the resources that you need in order to like create mods for your like equipment to improve it so I guess that would be the main reason you'd want to explore because it's not as simple as like, yes, you can find better stuff that has like that randomly has certain mods installed, like maybe even mods that you haven't completed the research or gotten the skill necessary to like create and install them. But if you have like a specific set of gear that you like, if you want to continue improving it, that's going to take a lot of resources. That's going to take a lot of research to unlock the mods in question for creation, then you need the resources to make the mods. It, 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 there's definitely a process to it. So it sounds like the two main modes of like character progression are uh, working your way down these skill trees and then specifically an item-based, gear-based progression with these resources and mods. That would be correct. Sweet. No, it sounds... Sounds different from what I expect from Bethesda RPGs, but you know it's something where it doesn't sound too too alien. So it seems kind of nice. So you mentioned that your time in this game was um, over a hundred hours already, though you put published something on the site, and this has also been going around a couple forums and sites. And people who have covered the game have been different levels of kind of coy about it. Um, about New Game Plus in Starfield, which in the idea of a Bethesda game is a bit alien. Uh, New Game Plus is not really a thing in most other games. It's one of those things where you create a character and then you just explore and wander and spend as much time as you want doing whatever you want in the game. And that's that's your experience with Skyrim or with Fallout 4 or whatever. But Starfield has New Game Plus. Now, I don't know how much you want to say, but there's it's, the way it's implemented apparently is quite is quite interesting. Okay, so the best way to explain it is that uh, there's like going to be specific choices during not only side quests but the story itself, where you have to choose one thing, like one way or the other, about how something goes down. And okay. uh, so, obviously, New Game Plus, you can try a different, like um, you can try to do something differently. Um, but the main reason why I put out that feature saying, hey, maybe you want to like beeline the main story and then like really explore a new game plus is because um, you can bring some things over. You can bring your skills, you can uh, bring 
some well, I don't know how to, how to explain this. That might be a spoiler, so I won't say it. But basically, the one thing you want to know is that any of the actual quests that you have done, um, any of the outposts that you've made, anything that you've done with ship customization, will not transfer over to New Game Plus. Your skills will, um, and there is at least some side content that is exclusive to New Game Plus. So there's a reason why if you're trying to like lick the plate, if you're trying to get as much done in Starfield as you can, it would be best to go to New Game Plus as quickly as you can because um, once you're in New Game Plus, you can skip the main story and you can just take things at your own pace. And since there is at least some content that is exclusive to New Game Plus, um, that way you're not like spending all this time and like doing all the side quests and then just having like essentially nothing to show for it. Once you start new game plus. So James, now that you've uh, like, I don't know if you finished Starfield or if you're in the middle of new game plus, or um, if there's just a lot that you haven't seen it yet at all. Like, I don't know how much time you've like, have you fully explored it? Is there still a lot that you haven't seen yet? Where do you think you are with the game? There was not enough time during the review period for anyone to fully explore that game. Like Mm -hmm. even like even saying, oh, there's like a thousand different plants, but most of them are barren. The fact of the matter is, is I've only like scratched the surface and like the number of planets are there. So I um, and and I'm like the main reason I'm here on the podcast instead of uh, Alex is that yeah he was the reviewer. I'm on guides duty, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm stuck in here for at least uh, an, another couple of weeks, I'd imagine. So yeah, yeah. you you actually have to like reload saves, see the quest outcomes, figure out gear. It's it's yeah. it's easier to review than it is to guide. Guiding is a lot of work and it's a lot of replaying and it's a lot more hours. Um especially with all the quest permutations, like what happens if you do this? What happens if you do that? Um yeah. to determine outcomes and whatnot. Yeah. Yep, so just like Adam, Starfield is definitely on my list but i kind of got a little bit behind with my work travel. Um i'm still like i said haven't finished Baldur's Gate. Uh, but luckily, I think September all, three, I think all three of us are in the same boat where we all have like, I don't know, 80 hours in the Baldur's Gate or some. We're all like well in Act 2 at least. And none of us have finished it just because we get sidetracked because of other other assignments or other games or whatnot. Yeah. And my joke about September being light was, uh, was a joke. It's not late. Uh, and there's other games like as the year has gone on, um, like Wolong has had a couple updates. I've managed to play that. Wild Hearts has had a couple updates. I've wanted to play that, but just haven't found time. Um, you know, this game is this year has just been really hard. It's going to be interesting getting into the game of the year podcast and just be like, this game looked good, but I have to take someone else's opinion because I didn't have time to get to it. But anyways, we've complained about that enough in yeah. different podcasts. So I guess I'll kind of leave sure. it at that. So many games. Didn't you actually play Wild Hearts though? No, I played Wild Hearts, but then there was, uh, and I played it to completion, but just there's been a, f- a few post-launch monsters yeah. and stuff. I barely touched the post-game stuff. I forget what they called it, but with the red virus version of the enemies, I barely touched. I did like one or two, and then I had to move on to the next game. Uh, just in general, and this is not a surprise to anyone, but is it just me or has this year just been insane in terms of releases? Like, I'm thinking about like, 
quality games that we're going to have to exclude from our top 10 just because there are so many of them. And as a site, we're lucky because games like Armored Core or Street Fighter, we don't even have to consider when other yeah. sites do. Like this this year is going to be like, we're going to have like some games yeah, that are I, out of our top 10 or top five I, that are actually excellent, but we just only have so many space. I, I'm just going to be spicy here. I like, at least personally, I don't think 16 is even in my top 10 for RPGs this year. And I don't think that's necessarily that spicy when there's just so many other good games. So yeah, you yeah. have to be excellent. But yeah, more on that later. But yeah, I was just looking at the game releases this year and I'm just like, man, this is going to be uh, since I've been on RPG site, which is not a short number of years now. This is going to be the, the highest most interesting, I think, end of the year conversation I think we've had, at least especially compared to the last couple of years where, of course, you know, COVID and everything's kind of affected everything. So maybe, maybe this is kind of a result of everyone recovering from that and all the projects that have kind of been delayed all kind of shotgunning out this year. So we'll have more opportunity to talk about Starfield. I mean, I actually, I hope we have more opportunity to talk about Starfield. This doesn't get crowded out in all the other releases in September. But of course, Adam mentioned he has plans to get to it. Starfield, I definitely want to be the one of those games that I actually do play by the time I get to the um, end of the year podcast. I feel like that would be a big, I'm almost, I want to play it almost like out of obligation or duty where it's like, that's, a, that's one that I don't want to skip. I want to have, make sure I have a good substantiated opinion on it when it gets to the end of the year. Um but uh, we'll see. And then, of course, we'll see if we can get Alex on uh, and other people are interested in playing it. So we'll probably have more opportunity to talk about Starfield going forward. Uh, did you have any other like final concluding thoughts on the game? Oh, I mean, concluding. Concluding thoughts in this first chance to talk about it on Starfield. Um, I think it's a great game. I think that uh, it's probably like Alex put it best. This is like the most compelling reason to buy an Xbox in the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, well you know Alex, i feel like Alex... I, I feel like that's damning with faint praise though because it's like unless you're a really big fan of forza horizon that's me there it feels like there's not really been a general like actual breakout hit for microsoft yeah. in a decade it, they've had good titles but of more like niche audience like Grounded, the audience that's gotten has been really strong. Age Age of Empires 4, you know, very PC centric, even if it did eventually did it eventually come out on Xbox proper? I believe it did, yes, but it did. still a very kind of like a, a very I don't want to say niche, but a very focused audience, you know, yeah, an RT, Pentiment, the RTS fans. Mm, so really good, yeah. So this is kind of like their first kind of wide, wide sweeping big project. And Based on, like, I know some people, you know, their expectations were kind of offset from what the delivered product was. But in general, it seems like results are pretty damn, you know, pretty damn good. Like, not not a failure. Pretty, pretty highly rated. Some people have more issues than other, whether they're more familiar or less familiar with Bethesda games. I did see, like, in general, I saw some people, like, still gaming discourse. People don't understand how averages work in terms of, like... It's what I, I don't know what the Metacritic is for Starfield. I think it was like high 80s. And it's like, how can so and so give it a seven or a six? It's like, do you know what an average is? In order for it to average at 87, that means that half the scores have to be above that. Also, and half the also, scores have to be I, below that. <laughs> I won't say who specifically, because they are technically a peer. They're another journalist, but there's been some head ass fucking takes about like saying, Hey, look, you can't just give a game a seven out of 10. You do know what you're saying. If you do that, it's like, bro, shut up. 
Oh yeah, and if you, give, if you that, give a I, game a low score, you're threatening the livelihoods of the of the developers. It's, it's like, come on. Like, let me be clear. I agree with Alex's score. He gave it a nine out of ten. By the way, I would also give it a nine out of ten. This is excellent. It's one of my favorite games of the year. But I can see why someone would give it a seven because it's one of those really interesting nines where it's like it's a nine because it's like a very uneven yeah. project in a lot of ways and honestly those are the nines i like the most because it like brings well except for the fact discourse for this game is absolutely fucked uh usually it when you it brings like actually interesting discussion to the table i don't think we're gonna get that for another like month or two uh but it'll be nice once we get there and then i saw the usual like how could you give starfield a seven if you gave i don't even remember what the other game was an eight it's like uh because that's how opinions work. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, not enough just bad-mouthing, you know, other people behind their back. It's uh, Obviously, we do have Alex's review up on the site if you want to hear his, or I guess read his full take on Starfield. Um, Alex has written two pretty big reviews for us uh, on the site this year, so that's kind of fun. Um, so obviously, we'll uh, continue to talk to James and other people as they play through the game on the podcast here to hear some other opinions on Starfield. And then, of course, uh, we'll talk about it at the end of the year and see how it stacks up with all the other amazing games that release. God, that really was two two games this year where he did the major review, and I've been yep, yeah. I guess, I guess I didn't think about that. It was also you stuck on guide duty, so I won't say stuck on because it ends up being pretty good to get all those articles out. But hey, yeah, read, that, those Tears of the Kingdom guides uh, paid for the laptop I'm currently on, so oh, it's kind of fun. Uh, and then uh, the other game that came out, oh, was it? I think it was late in Monday. August. Just, just yeah, Last just a Monday. couple days before Starfield that I have put a little bit of time into a very different scoped title, but one that I think a lot of people have been anticipating for about as long. And that's Sea of Stars. So Sea of Stars is one of this year's several like 16-bit JRPG inspired indie projects of course i'm talking about like chained echoes is the one that's kind of been like the main contemporary that's been compared to but there's been a few others that have been talking about throughout the podcast uh others that aside have... um since chained echoes came out last december that's also in the running for like this year's yeah. award stuff and that's a pretty good game well don't, well, don't <laughs> so, worry josh doesn't like that game so he'll make sure it stays out of the top 10 but uh, also that reminds me um that marvel tactical rpg came out in december which was by all accounts in Josh's account, also a pretty good game, but maybe not good enough. Oh yeah, uh, Midnight Suns. Yeah. Right. Anyway, but like, not only do we have Chained Echoes and Sea of Stars, but we have oh, I'm um, Hundred Heroes, of course, that's for next year. Uh, but uh, what was the one that has Sakuraba doing the music? There's Sacrifier. That's it. Yeah. So whole bunch of projects that are kind of occupying this um, indie 16-bit inspired space. So the most recent one is uh sea of stars sea of stars was originally kickstarted oh forever ago like i think 2019 um it's been it's been in the works for quite a while and you know kickstarter always you know some some games are kickstarted right away some games are kickstarted after they've already been in development for a while um from the developers of the messenger sabotage studios uh just released a couple days ago um our Reviewer for the game uh, got a copy kind of late. He wants to make sure he works all the way through it before he writes the review. So we don't have a formal review up on the site quite yet, but the game is out. Um, I did buy it. I downloaded it uh, onto both my PC and my Steam Deck. Uh, I've put about like six hours into it so far. Um, I kind of, you know, I have Baldur's Gate as my big, long RPG that I want to make sure I wrap that up 
uh, hopefully within the next week or so. But I, also, I just wanted to try starting Sea of Stars. From all accounts, it's a little bit more of a shorter game. A lot of comparisons to Chrono Trigger, of course, which is like usually the high watermark as like the perfectly paced 20 to 25 hour RPG. So I'm hoping that's what Sea of Stars ends up being. I believe that's kind of where reviews uh, have been landing for that. And uh, I know I've said this a couple times this year for a couple different games, uh, but my first impressions for Sea of Stars are quite positive. Though I do remember, what game was it? There was another game where I said my first impressions are positive, and then I came back the next week, and I'm like, oh, never mind. Uh, I don't remember what it I was. Think Miasma Chronicles Story. Oh, Miasma Chronicles, that was it. Because Miasma Chronicles, between like Act 1 and 2, just gets really stupid. Yeah, the gameplay uh, is great so, as a tactical RPG, but the story just gets really dumb really quickly. Yeah, that's what it was. That was a game that also had a promising start uh, that ended up kind of falling off a little for me. I'm glad I played it, but didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to go in. But anyway, Sea of Stars. Um, so I'll start out with just setting up the premise of the game and then talking about the gameplay a little bit. So Sea of Stars has... Um, a dual protagonist system, kind of like um, Star Ocean 2 or whatever. You can choose to play as either the male protagonist, Zale, or the female protagonist. It's either Valer, or maybe the E is pronounced at the end, so it's still Valerie. I'm not sure. I'll call it. I'll call her Valerie, just because it's a more name I'm familiar with. So Zale or Valerie, um, and they are called Solstice Knights. So they're, they were born, are, are, it, it, the circumstances of their birth are a little bit vague, it seems like they're brought to an area by someone called the Great Eagle, and they've been, you know, identified as being proficient with magic, which is not, you know, it's ba it's basically like they have they're force sensitive to like a Star Wars comparison. And so when they're very young, they're pulled away to this academy called the Zenith Academy in order to like strengthen their abilities as these solstice knights. Um, the the fact that two children were brought on with two consecutive solstices. So like one has lunar powers, Valerie, and one has like solar powers, that's Zale. Uh, so the fact that there's two of them and they're treated as like a pair is very interesting. It's, in, it's kind of implied that they have like more potential. They're like the Anakin Skywalkers of this world, like I guess, that no one knows where they quite came from. They have a lot of magical potential. They go to the Academy and they're, they have the potential to save the world. And um, they you start out, you know, you play a little bit of a flashback where they're kids, where they're at the academy. You go through, you learn like this Jedi Order. Sorry for all the Star Wars comparisons, but it's really the thing that's coming to mind right now. Um, they meet some older uh, knights that basically end up training them. And the interesting thing is, is that right off the bat, there's a little bit of um, friction between like what the narrative is purporting to be versus like what the player is made kind of aware that they don't know yet. So for instance, what I mean by that is that this headmaster of the Zenith Academy says like, yeah, we're going to train you two into knights. We're going to help. You're going to help us during the next eclipse. Um, during the eclipses, they, the, the demon forces of the, the, I think they call it the flesh mancer. I don't, I don't quite remember, but like, it's basically like this evil force that I haven't quite met yet weaken during the eclipse. And that's, so that's when, the solar um the solstice knights fight them like, you're going to help us during the next eclipse uh to do um our cleansing is what they call it it's like this regular ritual and then these other older knights are like why are you so eager to train them we don't need them but so there's like this friction between the older knights and the headmaster um the, the it seems like he knows more than he's letting all the knights 
um, that he's letting on. So uh, basically some mysteries are kind of seeded early, but in a way that is a little bit subtle. It's not like, oh, ho, ho, you don't know what's going on. Isn't that mysterious? It's just more in the background. It's a little bit more subtle where it's like, oh, I don't think I'm getting the full picture here about why you're, why these two are actually being trained. It's not, um, is it not like overly wink, wink, like we're hiding. Something yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not wink, wink, but it, it's not wink, wink, but it is obvious enough where they say like the headmaster and the um and the two older students who I'm I'm blanking on their names right now I'm sorry because they've been they're kind of minor characters right at the very beginning uh are shown are shown to have a little bit of friction um has but there then, been any has there been any instance where a character mutters something to themselves then someone asks them what's that and they ask oh it's nothing no not yet thank goodness uh, but the, however there is a, there are a few tropes in terms of the storytelling but like obviously you're going to have some you're not going to come up with original ideas all the way through like for instance there have been like flash sidewayses or whatever you call it where the perspective changes to like the enemy faction and it's four masked like akatsuki and they call themselves just one two three and four and they all have like different weapons like one are you keeping a track on them no three i thought that was your job well four is over there and he's not even paying attention you know so, so it's like this league of villains sort of thing where it's like oh i bet i'm gonna have to fight these uh you know console hours in sequence at some point like what faction are they working for are they in league with the headmaster i don't know so like it's like but the thing is is that the story is delivered in a way where it doesn't feel too like i've seen this before etc i know that was one of josh's main criticisms with chain echoes was that it was just all referential and didn't really do a lot of its own original um kind of creation of a story uh i think he was a little harsh on that though i can see where he's coming from i think sea of stars kind of avoids being quite as overt about it where he's just some of the ideas but it frames it a little bit more gently um then after you play about maybe an hour and a half you finish all your training they the two characters master all their magic and they basically are given kind of like a very basic almost like a one one sentence prophecy like a Final Fantasy 13 um focus. Like this is what you've been set out to do by the 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 elder wind spirit basically tells them what they have to go out to the world and set out to do. And I know for Valerie's it was like uh you should seek out the ability to walk on water. Uh and I forget what um Zales were, but kind of very open-ended, not in terms of like you're gonna go to the the I, I one thing I forgot to say is that this Zenith Academy and the village that they're from is like floating in the sky. So they can basically like descend to the planet and that's where they, um where they're like the real adventure starts quote unquote. Um, and their, and their first task is basically to find a ship of adventurers that will help, you know, help them explore the planet and, you know, be able to, you know, just seek out the denizens of the world. And so far, all of the stories so far have been very like um, self-contained. One of the very first stories you run into is you find this village of mole people and they are like miners at the top of this mountain that has like this magical attribute where there's like wind power in this mountains. Uh, and you, and you kind of take this at face value and you're, you're just like, Oh, they're miners and this mountain has to happens to have magic. But one thing, and this was pretty clearly shown in the trailers. And it was something that they marketed pretty heavily is that around this mountain, there's this giant sleeping serpentine dragon. Yeah. Uh, the art by the way, looks really very, very, very nice. And um, it's a bit, it's, it's a prettier game than Chain Echoes, though I think Chain Echoes is pretty good looking in its own right. Uh, they really kind of nailed the style. It's not quite HD 2D, but they do some really co cool stuff with the lighting. They do a lot of stuff with scale. Um, the Sleeping Dragon just looks awesome. And 
one thing that this game does do really well is that you solve this little tiny short one hour story where you help clear out them with this wind mine and help these mole people out. But then you learn, um, you get, you find an artifact and join uh, a character named Teeks kind of joins her crew pretty early on. And she's like an arcane historian. And what she does, she has like a magical book that, uh, if you show her an artifact, the book will immediately like recount the story of that artifact. Um, the the first one that you get is like the tutorial about uh, as like the tutorial of the mechanic introduces like a ghost ship, which I haven't met yet in person. But at least now it's kind of like it's been teased like, oh, there's a ghost ship. I don't know if it's going to be part of the main quest, if it's going to be something for me to find or hell, maybe it's just world building and it doesn't interface directly. But in part in this mine, you find another artifact and it's it's not a required item. You can you have to kind of dig and find it. You can give it to the historian. The book fills it out. You can hear the story and it talks about in ages past there was a war between these serpentine creatures that I haven't met yet and the mole people. Um, and uh, this giant serpentine dragon was summoned. And then the, in order to the, the mole people didn't have the strength to combat the dragon directly. So what they did is they used their magical abilities at the time and the mountain that they were located on to basically turn the mountain into like a giant, like ocarina, like a wind instrument to lull the dragon to sleep. That's why it's sleeping curled around the mountain. And it says since then, the mole people have kind of lost their magical affinity, but they maintain the mountain so that the dragon stays asleep. So that's just like a fun little side story. But I just the way that it was presented was actually just really clever. Like you, you interface with the mountain, you see all the magic in it, you see the dragon, and then you optionally get the objective to kind of hear the history of the place. And then the history of the place so also basically what you're getting at is that, I'll be honest, you seemed like you were basically just telling the whole story of the game, but the the way that it's presented is not just like a giant exposition dump. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So the story of the game is more, um, at least so far in the first five or six hours, it's more like these self-contained interlocking mini stories in a way. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a narrative term for that, that I'm blanking on. Um, but I prefer that a lot. And the thing is, is that if you're not interested in that, you like, you don't have to, you don't have to read that stuff. Um, but I think it's interesting. It's well done. I did see some, uh, I think famous, not famously, but kind of high profile. Jason Schreier uh, said that he really struggled with the English text of the game. Cause clearly it's translated. I, I forget where sabotage is, is um, located in. They're French Canadian. Are they? Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but and I can kind of tell that the that the dialogue does feel a little bit uh, stilted. The the characters have a um, kind of a they tend to talk in like very long sentences in a way that uh, a person wouldn't normally talk. And it's it's I haven't found like any errors or anything. It's just sometimes a little bit hard to read uh, in ways, but. Here I'll and I know this won't help for the um for the listeners, but I'll put something in the chat here. But just the way that things are phrased can be a little bit stilted, but it really hasn't affected my enjoyment too too much. Um, but it is there. Um, but it's it doesn't make the game hard to hard to follow or anything, and there's no translation errors as far as I can tell. But just the dialogue sometimes doesn't feel natural, like it flows. Like one thing that Adam kind of likes to use in his games uh reviews, uh, and most recently I think about Neo, the world ends with you, where when the characters are written, where you can read their voice from the text without voice acting. 
I don't quite get that in this game. This game doesn't quite reach that in terms of the voice acting. All the text just kind of feels like text, like a narrator's well, there's, talking. There's almost. no voice acting, right? You just mean like each character kind of speaks the same way. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like they don't have like the text doesn't as clearly li- list their voice. It does in some ways. There's a character named Garl who is like your non-magic friend. And Garl kind of, uh, I really like his character so far. He's treated as like the non-magic friend. The, the two main characters had to like leave him behind for all the years at the Academy because he couldn't go. Um, he's uh, he's a little bit of a bigger character. He's like the warrior cook. He likes to eat. So very easily could have just been like the jokey sidekick hanging a hanger on i like food however type of guy yeah ba- exactly he could be he could have been the wedge of this game however um because the other two characters spent most of their childhood uh in this like academy they're actually both shown to have a similar weakness where they're both like not very social they're kind of quiet they're a little bit timid which for two protagonists is actually kind of interesting but then they've got garl there who is this big just like gregarious you know hug everyone sort of character even takes the lead in a lot of dialogue like hey these both people need help we should help them and he's not the protagonist which i just think is a really interesting dynamic you know the reason i go the way you describe it anyway that kind of reminds me of sylvando in dragon quest 11 where he's like a little not bit, the, not the main character, but kind of takes once he joins, he sort of just takes charge anyway. Yeah. And a little bit of that is because the main character there is mute. Um, true. But it's similar, similar sort of vibe. And I kind of just bring that up as like this game doesn't do anything that we haven't seen before. But the way that it's been put together so far with like the little story there and how with the mole people and the dragon, how they implemented Garl into the game, just really kind of it's doing everything well in my time with it so far in terms of the combat it's still opening it up to me a little bit the reason why i focus mostly on story and not as much on, on gameplay right now is the gameplay right now i, th- I still think even with the, in, within like the first six hours is still kind of opening up um it's it does have very clear chrono trigger ins- uh, inspiration where if you run into an enemy your characters and the enemy characters will shuffle into kind of different positions on the world map not not a separated battle screen um, there is a little bit of positioning based combat where like if three characters are in a line and you're doing like a sweeping arc attack and you target the middle one, it'll hit the two on the sides as well. I've heard that um, the game kind of has like a Mario RPG kind of feel in terms of uh, some abilities. You don't just select them from a menu. You sometimes have to do maybe a little bit of a button timing sequence. Is that right? Yeah. And it's usually pretty simple, like press the A button uh, as soon as your attack can't lands and you'll hit and you'll hit twice press the a button as soon as an attack hits you and you'll defend and take partial damage um but some of the some of the combo abilities are a little bit more involved um but still usually about like holding a button and releasing with good timing things like that so I mean, it's that, nothing that super sounds like, just that sounds like a mario rpg to me it's not maybe not some of the later ones that get like kind of overwrought in those button sequences but yeah, yeah. so yeah nothing super complicated there but it's it's enough to feel a little bit more engaging uh so it's, it's exactly what it's set out to be um i will say that each character starts out with like a couple abilities and it's the you, you unlock other abilities quite slowly like so i've been using like the same couple abilities like uh valerie starts out with like a, a sweeping attack and one of the earliest things they showed in like the kickstarter was this ability where she shoots like a magical like moon shuriken out and keeps knocking it back with her staff and you can kind of like play like um zelda Phantom catch moon. like yeah. yeah uh and that's and that's that's a really fun ability uh because it hits every every enemy on the screen if you do it long enough so it's kind of fun um with zale you charge up a fireball so it's one of those things where it's like 
I think the combat's kind of doled out, at least the progression in the combat, a little bit slowly. It's not terrible or bad. It's just I kind of wish I had unlocked more abilities more quickly. Um, you do get combo abilities um, pretty regularly, and those are kind of fun because you actually have to like find them in dungeons with little micro puzzles. So it's, so they're they're not just doled out like, oh, you're level five. Now you access this ability. It's like, no, you explored this dungeon, you found it, and here you go. And the combo abilities are... I don't I don't remember which game you would credit this to because they're in a lot of them where if you have two specific characters in the party, they can do the combo ability. Um, some of them are offensive. One of them is like a group heal, etc. The nice thing about them is that you can use them to uh, specifically hit um, multiple enemy weaknesses at the same time. I said this in a I said this in a previous podcast. I think it was one of the ones you weren't here. Um this game, I have seen some comparisons to Chain Echoes, you know, which makes sense. They're both indie throwback RPGs. And Chain Echoes has a lot of characters. I think I said 16 in a previous podcast. It's actually 12. I miscounted. Um, but in Chain Echoes, pretty early on, you can kind of build very different parties depending on who you decide to choose. And in that game, who's in the front line, who's in the back line. But in this game... As far as I can tell, there's the three characters that they that have been on the marketing forever. The two Solstice Warriors and what's his name? Garl? Garl. And, mm-hmm. and then they recently announced there's a ninja character, which I don't know if you've met her yet. So I'm wondering, there's three people in the yeah, party? Sarai, yeah. And then yeah, There's like, three people in a party. But... And then maybe there's like uh, one fourth, one, there's a fourth character that you can swap in and out. I wonder if there's more. So I'm just just thinking that the party dynamics are going to be kind of, I'm talking mechanically here, are going to be pretty different. And also maybe just like character writing, if you have less characters to focus on, might come across pretty differently too. So just just to make sure, um, because I'm not far enough yet, I did look this up just to make sure I'm not giving incomplete information. I have the four characters. It looks like there are, at least according to the site I googled, Prima Games, two more. So party oh, of six, okay. which to me, playable three, six characters, that seems good. And like yeah. Chained Echoes did have 12, but you could effectively use eight in battle at a time. So it still worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the three characters I have have pretty clear roles. Um, so hopefully the, uh, sorry, the four characters I have. Wait, um, who's the fourth the character? Other, uh, Sarai, the ninja. Sarai. Oh, you have Sarai. I sort of assumed you hadn't yeah. met her yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't met the other two yet. And I read their names on this guy, site I Googled, but I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, haven't don't met spoil them yet. it. All right, yeah. yeah, I assume they're all gotten pretty early though. So, uh, combat very, uh, let very me say of... that I kind of actually appreciate that the marketing didn't just like here are all the playable characters because, like, I have no idea who the other two, the fifth and the sixth, are because they didn't introduce them, and I kind of like that, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, uh, and the, the progression is pretty. Um, like the dungeons in the game, I was worried after the first couple that they were very much like Octopath, where they're like a pretty straight line, and then you um like, oh, here's a clear dead end side path that you go to get a chest. The first couple dungeons are very much like that. But then eventually you, you uh there's some verticality, you can climb up and down. Um, there's certain like parts of the floor that you have to jump down from a high elevation to break through. Eventually you get the ability to push blocks so you can do some basic block puzzles that have been in like so many different top-down games. Um, so eventually it kind of opens up where no no individual component I just named uh, really changes it too much, but there's enough to keep some variety in the dungeons and actually have a little bit of non-linearity and some hidden paths. There's one dungeon that has like a lot of flowing water, so there's certain areas that you can only go through one way. Um, I will say, though, that this game is a lot of 
exploration in terms of like on the field doing combat. It does have mo- moments like when you're in the mole village and when you're in the the uh, the village that's in the um, the port village that's in the demo uh, is about two and a half hours into the game. So there's a little bit there, but it's not a focus of the game. So this is not really a game where you get immersed into talking to a ton of NPCs, like like a like a Kiseki game where you're going to Crossbell and it has tons of districts and tons of characters and they all have something new to say at every moment. Like it doesn't have a lot of that, which I think is fine. It doesn't it doesn't focus on that. It has just enough. Um, there's a couple of minor side quests. Um, they're not explicitly listed as side quests, like in a log, but like for instance, as soon as you get the ability to push blocks, you can kind of go into back into old places and old villages and um, kind of find little chests that were you know, tucked away in a very minor, minor Metroidvania S sort of thing where it's like, hey, you can access more chests here. Those chests might have more artifacts for this for the for the historian to talk to you about. I don't know. You collect a few things called like rainbow conches and yeah, a few I other mean, things. Chrono Trigger had similar stuff. Yeah. So l- nothing explicitly listed as side quests, but just some reasons to explore old areas. Um there is a fishing mini game, but it seems very kind of rudimentary it's not bad it's just it's just kind of there if when you fish there's a, it looks like there's like a, a list of fish and i looked at the achievement list there's an achievement for getting all the fish in the game um there there's a there's a whole mechanic about cooking food you get recipes and then you can cook them at a campsite and they they do things like heal hp or mp or for one character of the party um it's very much like tales games where you can have like the the, the items that heal you from like the shops but also you can like cook the food and it's a lot more economical way to to make the healing items. That's what this game is. It's like all the healing items are food items. So a lot of the games like economy, like when you beat, like why would you go and grind these enemies? Oh, they might drop a, an item for, for a certain recipe or, or this dungeon might have a lot of mushrooms which you need for a certain recipe. Um, so that's, that's a lot of the item economy in the game. Most of the weapon and gear economy is like you either buy it or you find it in a chest. I haven't done like any side quests. Like because you did the side quest, you get this ultimate weapon. Uh, it seems like the sort of thing that if, if it happens, it would happen later anyway. But yeah. So those are my first couple hours of Sea of Stars. I'll likely, if I get a chance, talk about it again next week. I'm hoping this is one I can kind of knock out fairly quickly. Um, but good impressions. Um, do I like it more or less than Chained Echoes right now? Uh, I think I like the moment-to-moment character talk. Because Chained Echoes also had a little bit of the dialogue stilted. Yeah, um, I not that's quite... a German translation, right? Right. So they kind of both have are, are in a similar space there. But I think the characters in... Uh, Sea of Stars so far, a little bit more interesting. I mentioned like the two protagonists kind of have a unique dynamic that I don't see in a lot of other games. Garl's really fun. The other characters so far are pretty fun. But yeah, that's been a time with Sea of Stars so far. Yeah, I definitely um, want to get to it. And I think I said in the last podcast, going from a gigantic game, Baldur's Gate, to a gigantic game, Starfield, it's nice to have a 20, 30 hour RPG in the middle there. Yeah, the, the tiny 20 hour game. So yeah. Tiny, yeah. Just, <laughs> We're boiled frogs. Yep. So I won't spend too much time on this because I know um, it's a pretty niche game. But one other game that I played as soon as I got back from my travel was uh, Guild Wars 2 actually did the first release of their new style of expansions. So they had their End of Dragons expansion last year as kind of like their big send off to the initial story of the game, kind of like a diet version of Endwalker. Um, and then the arena announced that they're going to go to these yearly kind of content drops, kind of like um, a destiny or a uh, elder scrolls online. So in uh, a week, uh, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, they uh, had their first version of that with secrets of the obscure. So I played through that. I played through the story. So like, like most MMOs, 
or at least the ones I've played in terms of um, how long does it take to be like, if you beeline the story of the game, it doesn't take that long, but there's a lot of side content, a lot of like collections and achievements and exploration and lots of other like side objectives to kind of dig into as well. So I'm kind of still doing sort of that. Uh, I will say that it definitely kind of feels shorter in terms of like the content of the game, though the subject material that they decided to go into, I thought was very interesting. Um, it's nice to be able to go into a story that's a little bit more divorced from the ongoing story where it's like, well, I haven't played the last 10 years of the game. Like, I'm never going to be able to play with, like, if I only play this expansion, am I going to be completely lost? And like, and the answer is honestly like, no, because it pull, it starts to introduce a lot of new characters that none of us have met before in an area that none of us have been to before, answering questions that none of us have any insight into. So it's, I think that's kind of one thing that's kind of just smart as a, as kind of a, placement for like hey you've got a game that's 12 years old how do you get new blood into the game well you don't tell them you've got you know 10 years worth of stuff that you have to play through in order in order for this to make sense so like yeah if you play through that stuff you're going to get a lot more context and world building but specifically the story we're getting into here um they're new characters you, you're you're meeting them at the same time as everyone else the story is touching on material that you're kind of learning about at the same time as everyone else so it's a little bit more entry friendly which i think is was deliberate i i don't know for sure but i'm pretty sure that was deliberate i wonder if um, uh, i wonder if elder scrolls online still i know they've had so many expansions for elder scrolls online now and i know at least early on it was basically meant you can do any expansion in any order mm -hmm. kind of meant to be you know kind of maybe avoid the quote problem that final fantasy 14 has perhaps where you kind of have to play it in sequence to catch up where well, I think Final Fantasy XIV's newest expansion is doing a similar thing yeah, where it's a uh, because they're marketing it as like, and maybe James can speak in here as like a, a step away. Now, I know a lot of people like that well, long no, 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 storytelling. No, no. But, yeah. All right, James, that, correct us here. Correct the us here, James. Problem is, is that uh, because of a certain character that's in, well, this is following up on the patch quests from. Uh, and Walker, and actually, sorry, let me get closer to my mic. I've been eating. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is following up on the patch quest of Ben Walker. It's not going to be a new jumping in point. Mm -hmm. They've said that they don't intend it to be a new jumping in point. Uh, I would say, though, that 14's issue is just very specifically 14's issue. And I mean, like, even Brian can attest to the fact that technically you can do any expansion in any order in uh, 11 if you wanted to, for example. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I know a lot of people yeah. like that sort of long form storytelling that you can't you can have, you know, character events and building and story and narrative that you can't do in a shorter, you know, shorter, like in a normally length RPG. But it's just kind of interesting from that, like Elder Scrolls Online perspective, where you can basically do any expansion in any order. There's not a huge sequence of events. There's not a big, long storyline. And Brian was just saying that the uh, this new expansion expansion can be are you saying that you can just go to this one first if you want yeah but they they're really trying to thread a needle like one of the yeah, major characters in the new expansion is is zaja who is is oja zaja i forget if it's a long or short o she is a character from the base game and she's a character from the first expansion but she didn't show up in the last two so she's still like uh it's kind of like uh having your cake and eating it too a little bit like Saja, I don't know who, like, don't worry. No one else has seen her in like eight years either. So don't worry about it. You're, you're meeting her for the first time and you're not too far behind. But also like, if you have been here since the beginning, it's a little bit of like, oh my God, she's back. You know, that sort of thing. And yeah. there are like other returning characters. And there's also a lot, we talked about this a little bit um, back when this was announced. There's like some 
they're doing some payoff or some mysteries that were never followed up on uh, from like the first game from like, you know, 17 oh, yeah. years ago. We, we, I, mentioned this, I mentioned this when we uh, when the when this expansion was announced and it, that it's tied to the villainy of Galrath quest. Like, I remember it, that uh, 2005. You, guess what? Galrath is in the expansion. I, <laughs> I am is. not surprised. Yeah, so it's it's very much like a, it's a wink and a nudge for longtime fans. But if you also haven't been there, it, it doesn't really matter in terms of like, what do you get from recognizing the character? Not a whole lot other than that little bit of a nostalgic like throwback um, fan service, I guess, in a way. Uh, the story is a lot more, um, I guess, dark because it, it, it involves like a demon realm. One thing that they've done pretty interestingly is that one of the raids, which is a content form that unfortunately ArenaNet's kind of dropped over the last couple of years, but one of the raids from about the 2016, 17 era had a final boss where you fought a demon named Deimos. And at the time it was like this big enigma, like where the hell, like we don't fight demons in this game. Where the hell did this guy come from? And I'm pretty sure at the time the developers didn't have this planned. They were just like, eh, we'll figure it out later. And now they're kind of like retroactively being like, oh yeah, the demon realm. Remember Deimos? Yeah, we're going to reference him here sort of thing where it's like, if you had played the raid story, then you get a little bit more from that, but you don't have to because he's off screen. So I think they're doing a lot of real careful stuff with the story here where it's like, make it just as accessible to someone who might've played the base game and this is the first expansion or someone who's been here the whole run. They want to make sure that you get the payoff in, the, in all the ways that you can. Um, it does feel shorter. It's one of those things where you buy the expansion because Guild Wars has this buy to play model um, where you buy the expansion. And then what that means is you get the like the, the major content drop now. And then in three months, you get its version of the point one. Now, right now, Guild Wars it. 2, like just the base game is free to play now, right? It's just the expansions that cost money. Exactly. The first two expansions are bundled together. Then End of the Dragons is separate. And now I know, I know it used to be you buy the base game no subscription fee then you buy the expansions but i think they yeah. basically said okay expansion still costs money but the base game is now free to play and i yeah. know there's and like it's, it's free to play but then you can buy currency or whatever yeah right. and it's um yeah there there's a there's a cash shop some people say it's super unintrusive some people say it sucks i th i think it's kind of in the middle or it like your inventory space is a little bit limited if you don't utilize like buying more bag slots or whatever but anything in the cash shop you can earn in game because you can translate one currency to another there's no there's no credit card exclusive currency i'll put it that way so that's kind of nice and having played like fantasy star online too i know it can be so much worse <laughs> that game i have no idea how anyone plays without spending any real money um etc uh it is hard to judge because like the story it doesn't leave on a, on a cliffhanger but it kind of leaves off at like the we solved the first immediate problem but what next check back in two months when we drop the next patch sort of thing or it's like oh okay um so i then the main thing that i think i took away as a positive from this expansion is that end of dragons was only a year and a half ago but yet they've already been able to kind of regulate their content development to say like a year and a half later here's a a, and all, a bunch of new assets a bunch of new quests a bunch of new gear um new maps etc where before that would come in at like a drip feed rate. And now they've managed to at least get something out pretty quickly. But but then that what they did get out doesn't last as long because obviously they are intending to release these yearly. So it kind of is give and take. Um, but but yeah, enjoyed it. Uh, I think I kind of got the lion's share of what I wanted to get out of it. 
out of it so I can go back to Baldur's Gate and um, see if stars, but I'll check back in in three months to see how the stuff continues. Uh, luck, it's one of those things where it's like, is the mini expansion idea going to be a, a success for ArenaNet? Well, you can't really judge that until they get like at least two or three out. Basically, their problem the entire time has always been regularity of their content. Can they keep up with the schedule? Can they have like that's the sort of thing that Final Fantasy 14 kind of championed itself on, where it's like you kind of know roughly when the expansion is going to drop, what's going to come in with come in with each patch. Where with ArenaNet, it's like throw darts while blindfolded at at a dartboard a mile away. It's like <laughs> what do you got to get in a year? Who knows? Uh, so if they can have some sort of regularity with this new with this new content format, uh, I think that'll be good for the game in the long run. But we'll see if they manage to, to hold on to that. There's still always rumblings. Um, I, I heard a rumor. I don't like, and this is not not this is no inside information at all. A, a Guild Wars Two YouTuber mentioned this, is that they think ArenaNet might be co-developing the Horizon uh, MMO, but uh-huh. they were also supposedly developing like an in progress Dune MMO, Project Arrakis, which never came to be. And so, like, there's always been sorts of things where they've been working something on the background. You would follow developers on their LinkedIn pages, go and get hired and start working there. Then they would leave and nothing would come from it. So it's always kind of been this black box of, like, they have the Guild Wars team and then they've got everyone else. What the heck are they working on? No one knows. And it's been like that for eight years. It's almost kind of frustrating. (laughs) So anyways, uh, with that, I think we have covered all the... New releases for for at least the first week of September. More to come. Uh, before we go into the news, a couple of article shout outs here. Um, we did get an article op-ed from Paul, who had recently done uh, a feature on, um, was it on Thousand Year Door? No, it was on Super Paper Mario. Oh, Okay, no, didn't, oh, didn't he do one like last month, though, on the Thousand Year Door? Mm, he did one on... Uh... Mario RPG, Super Mario, I think. Oh, 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 he did one on general. All right, I, I pulled it up. So sorry about being confusing there. In June, he wrote an op-ed called The Next Paper Mario Should Lean Into the Series RPG Roots. So he kind of brought up Thousand Year Door in that game. And of course, the original. Um, that was, I think, right around the time the Super Mario RPG like remaster was announced, which is not the same as Paper Mario, but clearly like in a similar space as those original games. So it's kind of an interesting discussion here. But he but his uh, he wrote a new feature that went up uh, a week ago. Um, Super Paper Mario is a gateway to the genre for younger gamers. So kind of just an interesting, very uh, specific perspective on the game Super Paper Mario, which has always been divisive ever since it released as like, for Paper Mario series, people either consider Super Paper Mario as the point where it jumped the shark or Sticker Star as the point where it jumped the shark. Because Super Paper Mario is just kind of like slotted in there. It's kind of like its own weird, obscure thing. So uh, two things. One, Paul has like really young children. I think like the oldest is like six or seven. And then there's he's got like there's that three of them in that age range, like three to seven. Mm-hmm. And they saw the Mario movie. And basically are now Mario obsessed as kids tend to get you know, obsessed over. <laughs> That's kind of fun. That's cute. Yeah. And then, so like, apparently they like went to the library or whatever, look up Mario books and Mario um, games. And they saw Super Paper Mario. And literally this little op-ed came out of playing this game with his children who are very young and teaching them about like, this is how you play an RPG. And, you know, it's, we all know as adults that it's not like a traditional RPG, but like in terms of level ups, and 
you know, getting more stronger, getting stronger and all that. And this, this editorial is basically just kind of a written up experience of him being a dad playing with really young children of a game like this. Uh, my personal take on Super Paper Mario is when it first came out, I wasn't super happy with it. I just, you know, I think at the time I wanted just another traditional Paper Mario game. And like, eh, I don't really like the side scroller style. And then after Sticker Star and then later Color Splash, I'm like, you know what? Super Paper Mario is actually pretty good just for what it was. It's different, but it's fine. Like, it's better than the games that came after it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I, I do think the fact that Sticker Star and what was the one after that? Color Splash. <laughs> Color Splash. Those, those ones like lost the original audience so hard that I think like Super Paper Mario kind of benefited from that. It's like, yeah. well... I guess I guess that one was all right. Right, thing. exactly. And I know we're we're bi our, our, we're biased our site when our coverage slant. Um, and I think hey, Origami well, King we is pretty we, good. And we covered that, even though we, by all rights, we probably shouldn't have, <laughs> but it was pretty good. Um, so yeah, thank you for providing some of the, the kind of like the background on that on that op-ed. That's really kind of an interesting perspective. And then the other feature outside of the uh, Starfield review that went up on the site this week is that Paige covered the console release of Virgo versus the Zodiac. This is an indie game that um, was originally published on Steam back in 2019, just recently. I, I don't know exactly when. Let me double check. It, just August 23rd came out on uh, all the consoles, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One Series, PlayStation 4 and 5. So Paige covered the, uh, the console release of that game and wrote a review up for Virgo versus the Zodiac on the site as well. I think in terms of article shoutouts, that covers most everything. I know, obviously, uh, James is working on all the Starfield guides. So those are all coming out uh, over the next probably several weeks. So we have those up all up on the site as well. And then, of course, also the usual shoutout. Uh, Adam has, since we've gone into September, updated the release window. And all of our RPGs of 2023 articles have been updated and pushed back near the top and tweeted out just yesterday, I think, with all the games coming out this month. Going into the news, like I said at the top here, uh, really not any cohesive theme to this. And a lot of this is kind of trailers for upcoming games, with tra which trailers are the hardest bits of news to talk about in a podcast format, at least not a video podcast, um, just because obviously they're visual marketing and this is an audio format. So all we can really talk about is our like reaction to the trailers. So we have a bunch of those here, but we might not be able to latch on to any individual news bit. Um, as strongly as we can. Before we get into that, we have a couple of announcements here, um, kind of a smattering here. So in no particular order, uh, we were you know, talking about MMOs. One game that came out a couple years ago that we really haven't covered on the site just because we don't have anyone in that space is uh, New World. So uh, I played a little bit of it when it was in like testing, but I never played the official release. I don't think I ever will just because of time. But New World and Amazon Games have announced their first expansion, Rise of the Angry Earth is launching on October 3rd. So that's in a pretty, basically that's a pretty quick turnaround from announcement to release. Yeah, like saying, hey, we're having an expansion to our MMO. It's coming out in a month. Um, so this was announced with a kind of a cinematic trailer, which is kind of the same way Final Fantasy does it, not the way ArenaNet does it. Um, so in terms of, uh, I mean, I'm just going to be honest here. None of us know enough about New World to be able to read this press release to specifically talk about like, how this is going to shake up the game, how much content's being added, what sort of format it is. They are raising the level cap, so they are kind of treating the um, treating it like a more traditional uh, MMO expansion. Uh, it does, I know, 
um, based on the press release, affect the initial starting area of first light in some way. So that's interesting that it's going to have some sort of like permanent change to the um, to the world space. Uh, the trailer seems to show like some basically history of the of this island before the arrival of the uh, of the uh, outer people, the, the player faction. But in terms of that, I you know we can't really speak to what this is going to add. But you know uh, this game, its Steam player numbers have always maintained pretty high and steady numbers, despite you know certain certain spheres seeming to talk about it as if it's as if it's a failure. Yeah, sixteen. I don't know that we can right say that. now. I mean, yeah. So coming out in a month, uh, it looks like it will. It has a base game, but also it'll be bundled. Sorry, it has a base expansion of thirty dollars. And it will be also bundled with the base game and in a bundle for seventy dollars. Uh, also, it adds a weapon type, the flail. So there you go. We have the announcement of a new um, CRPG coming out next year. It is a steampunk RPG called New Arc Line from publisher Dreammate, who I don't recognize. Uh, but we have a cinematic trailer as well as some like mock gameplay for this game that was uh, put on IGN's YouTube channel. It was one of their uh, exclusive marketing things, which seemed to be more and more common recently, there's at least some, for these smaller titles. There's some funny like in, um, inside baseball for this. So this goes this announcement goes up on IGN uh, about a day after I get the news post out. We get an email from them saying, hey, we got this announcement coming up. It's embargoed for X day. And it's like, no. The information's already out there. We had already posted about it before you sent this. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, this is that's strange. Is I, where, I didn't know this that. This is where it gets annoying. Where clearly some agreement is made with IGN being the biggest game website, and these publishers like, hey, transfer some money. We'll we will have the exclusive announcement for this game, and then. That means when we are looking up information for this game, we can't go to the publisher. We don't have a press release or anything. We just have to say, okay, here's what IGN said. So it's like announced, but embargoed. It's very strange. But yeah, but we're fine with that. Like if IGN has a scoop on a game and we don't, we're like, all right, here's yeah. here's the trailer from IGN's uh, YouTube channel. Like, oh, yeah. well, like that's and if not they a big deal. actually get mad, it's like, uh, who gives a shit? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's on the... It's on their YouTube channel. So yeah, this game, uh, or the trailer for this doesn't show a lot of the gameplay, though it shows some like isometric perspectives without any UI that seems like it might be trying to emulate what gameplay might look like. Um, it has a, they call it cyberpunk, or sorry, steampunk, but uh, it has a it has a vibe that's very like Bioshock-ish or um, what is Inexile's new game, um, Clockwork, Clockwork Revolution. Uh, so it has, it has that sort of vibe initially, though it does go into more like um, horror elements later in the uh, later in the trailer, so it has more like Resident Evil feel to that. So kind of an interesting vibe. Uh, hard to really judge too much because it's just like a little ninety second introductory trailer, uh, but kind of an interesting concept that is supposedly going to release on both consoles and PCs next year. So we'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, here's a kind of an un uh, an unexpected announcement. Uh, we got the announcement of a. Standalone spin-off roguelike for Lost Idolans. Lost Idolans was kind of like that Fire Emblem-like indie game with a Western aesthetic that released, uh, what was it, October of last year, yep. um, I believe. And one of the games that I remember saying that I was interested in playing it, but as always, didn't have time. Um, 
then eventually it released on console. But we are a surprising announcement of Lost Eidolon's Veil of the Witch. So this is also a strategy-based game, but it has a roguelike like parameter to it. So uh, PC exclusive announcement for now, coming out next year for, I guess, the Legion of Lost Eidolon's fans. Kind of interesting, but it must have done well enough for them to, you know, support the development of this new game. I mean, so, I heard the game has got, s- you know, mostly positive reception. Maybe not like outstanding reception, but people seem to like it. And Scott did play it for our site last year, so we're not completely blind to it. But he just thought it was, you know, good, not great. It was fine. Um, so good enough to have, you know, pushed for the creation and development of the new spinoff. So that'll come out next year. I don't know if Scott's really interested in it, but we'll see. And then here's a kind of an uh, announcement that I had to ask Adam a couple of questions about here because I had a hard time parsing this. So back in the era of like Japanese feature phones, when they get all the exclusive games, this was when like Final Fantasy before Crisis was a phone game. Um, that Xenosaga Pied Piper was a phone game, like the late the late aughts before yeah. like the iPhone released and kind of standardized, you know, mobile app eco- ecosystems. Uh, there was one for based on the original Persona. Um, I'm not gonna. Well, I guess I will have to attempt to say the name. Uh, Megami Ibunroku Persona Ukuno Tonhen. So I probably murdered that, but it's a spinoff of the original Persona game that was a game for Japanese feature phones that originally came out, I believe, in 2006. However, uh, it seems like an Adam, uh, take it away if you need to. But a lot of these games have been ported to both switch and pc in japan as part of like this ongoing effort to kind of like archive those games in a kind of a more conducive comprehensive fashion called the g like the g modes archive what is this Uh, i'm actually not super familiar with this i just know the g mode archive yeah like you said is basically just some sort of like collection of re-releases of these sorts of feature phone and maybe other kind of niche platform games and right now they're just Japan only. I believe, you know, you can buy them from the Japanese store if you want to play these in Japanese, but none of them have been translated as far as I'm aware. So there's no reason to believe this will be, I mean, who would? So that's all I'm, a, that's all I really know about it. But yeah, it's still obviously good for, you know, preservation of the game. And then if it does end up on PC in this fashion, that might mean that it might be more conducive to like fan related mods or translation, sorry, down the line. So interesting to see and good to know that, you know, someone is making sure that these old games don't get lost to time. What, what was that statistic that was uh, released by um, one of those like study groups a couple of weeks back where it said like 87% of all games ever made, you can't play anymore. Or you can't you can't buy anymore. Yep. So the the more that we can shrink that number down, the better. Just in terms of you know preservation. With that, we'll go into not new game announcements, but new ports. Uh, a game that we talked about not too long ago. Uh, Adam reviewed it for us. Jagged Alliance Three released in July for PC. Uh, it was announced that it will also release on PlayStation and Xbox consoles uh, later this year, but no release date was explicitly given. Um, alongside the, on the uh, there's a release date on the publisher's website store page. Oh, okay. I believe so. They so... reported it like November 16th or something like that. It's just kind of it was just kind of a weird, odd, small thing where they didn't explicitly say this is the release date, but they're like, you can buy it from this page, and then if you go to the page and then go to buy it, 
it says November yeah. 16. I was like, okay, is that oh. the date? I guess. So yeah, why didn't you? Why didn't you say so? Um, but yeah, Adam, you you like this game well yep. enough. Yep. So, but though, can you imagine playing it in with a controller? No, I. It's this is one of those games, and I don't mean to be like I don't know, you know. I don't even know what the word is, but like you have to only you can only play it on keyboard and mouse. But it's it you seems just, like the type of game that is very much well suited to keyboard and mouse. Like I wouldn't personally wouldn't try playing it with the uh, controller, or like maybe gatekeeper. You know, I don't want to be the gatekeeper. Like you have to play this on PC. Like maybe maybe the con- console controls will be good. I don't know. It just seems very well suited of, to as, keyboard and mouse. As a very short tangent. I did play a tiny amount of Baldur's Gate 3 during my trip on the Steam Deck, and it took me a long time to get used to the console controls, or the, like the keyboard controls, not the keyboard, button controls. Um, which obviously, like, it's coming out on PlayStation any day now, right? Um, so uh, Next week, I think. Yep. Same and day then obviously not the regular launch. And not, and not, the, not the first for um, Valerian, because obviously Divinity Games uh, did so as well. And eventually I did manage it. I managed to get through a couple of quest lines using the the controller you know, layout on the on the Steam Deck in Baldur's Gate 3. So like, it can be done when you have no other option. I would prefer keyboard and mouse, but the keyboard controls, uh, the controller controls do work pretty well once you get used to them. So hopefully the same is true for Jagged Alliance 3 once it launches on the consoles in November. Uh, not an announcement, but basically the prelude to an announcement. Um, Gamatsu, as they're keen to do, noticed that the ESRB has rated PlayStation 5, spe- PlayStation 5 specific versions of Trails of Cold Steel 3 and 4. Um, shouldn't really be a surprise because um, Trails into Reverie obviously got a PS5 release. Um, East 10, sorry, not East 10, East 9 got ported to PS5. And um, East 8. And East 8. Yeah, and that's so. it's probably worth mentioning that like Reverie, did that get a PS5 version in Japan? No, no. So that was an NIS America thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but NIS America for other Falcom games, East Eight and East Nine, got PS5 ports, and then other NIS games, NIS America games, I should say, like Caligula um, Effect, also got PlayStation Five ports. So yeah, it's not super surprising that these games would follow suit. Modern of Galeria uh, was originally on Vita and PS4 in Japan. The Switch version came out after the fact in Japan, but the PS5 and PC versions were also just ports that NIS America did. So, and we talked before that, that it's we've we talked before that it's you know helps to get it on retail shelves. Maybe just gives it a little just just a boost of. Uh, visibility when you can say, "Hey, your PlayStation Five, you can get a PlayStation Five version of the game." If you know, I I doubt it actually would have significant, cha- you know, performance advantages really, but you know, it's, it's, it's just tidier for like your like your personal library of games, right? For some people. And then this last one was one a game title that I hadn't heard in a long while. Um, this is an indie project called Long Gone Days. It originally released on Steam Early Access in like 2018. Uh, it's a narrative RPG set in like a dystopian future. It will finally release out of Early Access and onto consoles, all consoles, Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation, on October 10th. I remember seeing the announcement trailer for the uh, the release, the art, and I'm like, haven't I seen this before? And I look on our website, and um, Zach actually covered this game back in 2018 when it was in early access. And the comments on his initial early access review are like, 
uh, one one of our readers said, "Hey, make sure you cover this uh, again when it comes out of early access." Five years ago, and now it's like I didn't realize it hadn't come out of early access. I'm like, oh wow, like that's a long early access period for a game, but uh, coming out, uh, and not only that, but coming out onto the consoles in a little over a month. So, with that, we'll go into trailers. Uh, we'll just kind of roll through these here. I'm not sure how much we will glean from each of these. Um, Fate Samurai Remnant, the two people on this podcast that could speak to this a little bit more directly than we could are not here. So maybe we'll just kind of glean this one through. Uh, Fate Samurai Remnant, third trailer uh, released, and this game is coming out in late September. Uh, it kind of shows a little bit more of the gameplay elements involving Gilgamesh and involving um, some, of the, some of the stats for the character builds and things like that. I won't go into any other detail here for fear of getting this wrong. Maybe we'll have to wrap back up into this uh, next week or just wait for the release of the game at the end of the month. But Fate Samurai Remnant, uh, it's kind of funny because this is the game where the, uh, wasn't, was this the game, Adam, where the trailer like leaked and then, you know, we posted it and then it got taken down and then they formally announced it like a day later. Yeah, so. like the very first trailer or not the, there was a teaser trailer last year, but like the first full trailer, it was posted on the PlayStation uh, YouTube account in like early June or something like that. And we just covered it like, oh, here's the trailer. And then they weirdly took it down and it's like, okay, that was weird. We reposted it, got taken down. And then they just re-revealed the trailer like two weeks later or something like that. It was just kind of just some random occurrence that I guess it was posted early by PlayStation Japan. Hmm. But yeah, this third yeah, trailer this seems to go a little bit more into like, if you're really interested in this in this game, it's less story focused. It's less like it's not like a combat trailer either. It's more like here's a shopkeeper. Here are some of your skills, what you can, how you can basically set up your servant abilities and all of that. So kind of getting, you know, maybe not too unsurprising uh, or maybe not too surprising for a third trailer, kind of getting a little bit more into like gameplay mechanics. We also got a new trailer for silent hope this is the uh what we kind of described as like almost like the 3ds era rpg that was announced at the nintendo direct earlier this year from um from marvelous so this trailer very similarly is kind of like a gameplay focused trailer mainly talking about like the different um characters slash classes like each of playable characters like a dungeon rpg is like named after their class talk about like wanderer warrior archer rogue um how they all interface with the battle system of this game uh so this is mostly a combat focused trailer for uh silent hope yeah this is kind of a weird game interesting game being that sort of chibi dungeon crawling ish rpg in the rune factory uh story which is sort of weird mm -hmm. because rune factory you don't really think of that rune factory you think of you know characters in farming and dating in action rpg so Oh yeah. Speaking, uh, speaking of one of one of the classes, I, I rattled through a bunch of them, but one of the ones I didn't list was there's one of the battle classes is farmer. Yep. So it's like wanderer, rogue, warrior, archer, farmer. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we have a also another trailer for another kind of gameplay focused trailer on another October release, uh, and that's for Sword Art Online: Last Recollection. Uh, uh, basically, a trailer for playable characters, weapon types. So kind of very similar. Um, I was actually talking to Adam uh, right before this podcast, like September and also, I guess, late August, if you include like Baldur's Gate and Sea of Stars, is kind of like the higher profile releases. You could wrap in Armored Core as well. And then October has kind of like these other like kind of like the fringe releases, not saying they're bad. They're just not quite in the limelight. Like you got the Sword Art, you got the Silent Hope, uh, you got the, I guess, 
Fate Samurai Remnant is late September and not in October explicitly. So maybe I'm full of crap. Well, October, but, it seems like the biggest October release is probably Spider-Man, but that's not really in our wheelhouse. So. Yeah, so you have the Lords of the Fallen. You have, um, uh, what else was in October? Dark Envoy, was that October? Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll kind of like these other, like not not quite as marquee of titles, at least not in the RPG space. So, but yeah, uh, Sword Art Online, Last Recollection, going to the playable characters and their voice actors in this one. Uh, we got the anime opening movie to probably the biggest November release for the site, and that's Star Ocean, the second story R. Um, so this is very typical to get the, you know, the PSP version had a unique opening movie. We got another unique opening movie um, uh, for the uh, for the new remaster. It features uh, a song from the Japanese music duo Suren, Suiren. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Uh, so I watched this trailer, and as I was watching it, Adam described to me like he didn't think that the animation was very good, and I was kind of thinking the same thing at the same time when I watched it. I mean, it's fine, but I guess when so many other games like have some really stylish, fancy, really high quality opening movies, this one just is kind of okay. It's just fine. Like but of the, course, I like I've the kind color of... palette in some of the shots, like dark blues and purples. Yeah, the purple is really nice. Uh, but it's it's fine. I guess if you if you're familiar with the game and you're revisiting Star Ocean Two, it's nice to see like you're oh, gonna... I know all these characters because that game has a lot of characters. If you're not familiar, Star Ocean Two, especially one also, there's like I don't know, it feels like 15 characters that you can that can join you, but in in a single playthrough, only seven of them can. So there's a lot. There's more characters than you can actually get because you have to basically make decisions on who actually joins. So there's a which lot. used to be which used to be a key component of Star Ocean, and now it's kind of like well, just like this one character had, had the like, one, yeah, the one yeah. optional character that could be either or, yeah. yeah, but but yeah, like if you haven't played Star Ocean two and this is your first chance to get introduced to it, this just probably just I hope this isn't too like blase of me or whatever, but it kind of just comes across like an AMV, like oh, I don't have any <laughs> context for anything I'm seeing here. But you know, it's it looks fun enough, it's, and it's just marketing for the game. So we'll we'll revisit in November to see how we actually feel about the re-release. Here's another of those like November releases. Um, this is Banishers: Ghosts of New Eden. This is a, a Dot Nod developed joint who has always made a, a few interesting titles that are kind of in that fringe RPG esque RPG adjacent space. Uh, so we got a new extended gameplay trailer. I thought these were story trailers mostly going into the. Uh, into the podcast like over outline here but a lot of these are really gameplay focused trailers yeah, this, so unless they call, you're like, a, they call it a gameplay trailer but it's really just like here's 15 minutes of gameplay and i'm sort of interested in this game so i checked this out and it seems fine it seems a little bit lower budget like how do i put this it's clearly not a triple a game and you kind of have to set your expectations like that like oh okay this is you know from dot nod they made Life is Strange. It's from the Vampire team. Here's their next game. The, I will admit that the the facial animations in this game are like honestly pretty poor, and it is a little bit jarring when you when you play games that have such great facial animations from you know bigger budget efforts. And it's like okay, this game doesn't have that quality, that tech, and you kind of just have to accept it. But it's just kind of like. Man, I wish it looked better when people are talking. And I was actually looking at the comments of this 
trailer and there's a lot of similar like sentiment where it's like i'm interested in this game it looks great i like the style but i wish the faces were better and it's just kind of like that's just kind of how it is um and, and it's one of those things where it's like does that really affect the quality of the game maybe not, not really but yeah, it's also like that's that's, a, it's, it's the thing you see whenever a character is talking in an rpg so it's kind of like that's very obvious ignore it and you know it's just as as tech gets better and better it's going to become more and more jarring when you have the games that are like when you have like an anime style game with the very simple like mouth movements or whatnot, it's not too bad, you know. But when it's like more and more photorealistic, the the the, the facial animation is more important. So yeah, that's just, yeah, that's just like the one thing that's just kind of like a almost like a black spot on this. Like it looks interesting, I'm interested in it, but I wish that's just the one thing that stands out. Mm-hmm. Do they so do they call this game an RPG? Because like it looks uh, more like a third person like action game. I think I guess I guess it says action RPG. I guess the uh, the 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 official listing uh, on Steam says action RPG. So we'll see. It's kind of a catch all genre. It feels like these days. Uh, we have a new trailer. Here's a game that's coming out in less than a week. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis uh, got a countdown to launch trailer. Of course, we kind of covered this game extensively. Both Josh and James both had some time with the game. Uh, this trailer opens up with like a cinematic with the first soldier trio whose name I'm already forgetting. It's like Glenn, Glenn. Lucia, and Mike. Or something Everyone's like favorite Final Fantasy VII <laughs> character, Glenn. Yeah, and then of course, as they've been marketing this game, we still don't know Sephiroth, young Sephiroth, what's he doing, who's he is. Then it goes into some of the actual gameplay where it's like, here are the events of Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy um, uh, Crisis Core, only everyone's wearing new neat outfits and stuff. This game, like, I am on the record on this podcast saying, like, I was pretty damn excited for this game when it was announced. Just the concept of it seemed neat. I wanted to kind of catch up on all the other, like, Final Fantasy VII ancillary stories, uh, compilation, whatever you want to call it. I will say the closer I get to release, the more I'm like, Do you am care? I really interested in this game? Like, I, I probably will play it, at least download it and put some time into it. But like, as soon as I wall into like whatever the gotcha system looks like, like I probably will have like, uh, all right, I can either continue to play this or I can go into Starfield or Star Ocean or Baldur's Gate or Guild Wars or, you know, there's like so many other things competing for my time. But I still think it. The, the combination of art styles is pretty neat. The the 2D animation for like their portraits is pretty fun. Um, it would probably be cool to like to see kind of like, you know, how, are these events going to be important to fully understanding Rebirth early next year? Who knows? Uh, and then it also kind of um, ends as a Square Enix trailer typically does on a very mysterious ending where Sephiroth is like, pleading with this other character who maybe my Final Fantasy 7 foo is lacking here, but I don't know who it's supposed to be. It's a character with like their hair tied back with like a Ronin style garb. Like I I don't know who this is supposed to be at the end of this trailer. So like very, you know, very square enix to be like leaving it to tease like that. Like young Sung. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm I no idea. I'm sure someone out there is like, no, obviously it's this. Uh, I don't like uh, r- right now. My brain is not working. I don't know who this character is. Uh, let's see. Um, we have another story trailer. So actually an actual story trailer for cry Machina. This is the for you for you joint um, released in Japan earlier this year. Kind of like the supposed fi- follow up to cry star, but it seems like that's a very you know, 
very thin connective tissue between Crystar and Crymachina. Uh Got a new story trailer for the game. Doesn't have English voice acting, so even the English trailer has um, subtitles, which is fine. Uh, but again, like unless you've been following this story very, very closely with the marketing, or if you followed the reception from the Japanese release a few months ago, it's a lot of scenes between a lot of characters that I just don't have any context for. For the story trailer, I, I will say I really like the art palette. Everything it's like they use like cell shading and bloom in kind of an interesting way with like the cyberpunk aesthetic. It kind of like I see this trailer and I'm like, yep, I know that's a Crimakana trailer. It's very, very distinctive. But in terms of like what I'm gleaning from the little snippets of story that they're presenting, it's very, very little. But I think for most story trailers, that kind of it's kind of more trying to sell the the vibe and right. the kind of the end that, that's part of that's the thing th- with story trailers sometimes is it's just sort of like disjointed random lines of dialogue with jargon like i don't really know what they're actually talking about but it looks cool mm-hmm. yeah so this is the other one of those like i was, I was trying to make a thesis earlier to, earlier in the podcast and failing about how like september has like these marquee titles and then october has kind of like these like everything else and then Cry Machina is one of those. Like, oh yeah, this game, it looks kind of interesting. It's in late October, so maybe my plate will be kind of clear by then to see you know, what this game's all about. Uh, and then the last trailer that we got, this is for one of the, I think it's the last one here, unless I accidentally skipped one. You missed one. one. Which one did I skip? Little Goody Two Shoes. Oh, Little Goody Two Shoes. All right, what is this one, Adam? Uh, Little Goody Two Shoes is a Square Enix Collective uh, horror adventure game slash RPG. Uh, whether or not how, how much of an RPG it is is actually a little bit ambiguous because they called it one at one point and then they call it an adventure game at another point, so it's hard to tell. Uh, but this was revealed last year as a Square Enix Collective kind of indie game from, I believe, a development studio in Portugal. And they have another game called, oh shoot, what was it? It's kind of like, it's, it's got this sort of like 90s anime aesthetic uh, give me one second here. What was the other game called? It was like Pocket Mirror, something like that. Oh yeah, it is po- Golden uh, Trom- Pocket Mirror, Golden Trom, and it's like I guess related to this. It's like this. It's got like a '90s anime aesthetic and also pixel art style um, horror adventure game. It's got like a fairy tale sort of aesthetic to it, also kind of Little Red Riding Hoodish. I mean, her name is literally Little Goody Two Shoes or whatever it is, um, and. It seems interesting. I know Chow is interested in this. He loves this, which is not surprising to me. He loves this sort of aesthetic and the older retro style. Uh, they really they release a new trailer. Um, we have platforms for the game now. It's PlayStation Five, Xbox Series S and X, Switch and PC, but still no date. But yeah, if you like that, if you like that retro style '90s anime aesthetic, take a look. Thank you for describing that game to me, Adam. I was distracted by the chat here where you posted the uh, <laughs> the screen cap at the end of the Crisis Court or the Ever Crisis trailer. And you're like, who is this? And someone answered, new bullshit. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I get where they're coming from. Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the last trailer, uh, uh, thank you for catching me up on uh, Little Goody Two Shoes. Uh, it does kind of seem like a game that would be in Chow's, uh, kind of Chow's window, kind of very East-like. But um. The last uh, trailer that we got here is a game that was teased and then announced to a little bit of a disappointing fanfare uh, about a month ago. And that's the new Atelier game, which is a mainline game, but only announced for Japan. Free to play Atelier Resleriana. 
So we have a, a new trailer that introduces the game's second protagonist named Valeria. But then in addition, in the information for the game, kind of all the stuff that you'd expect to see from a game that people were kind of worried about is starting to creep through. Like, for instance, there is a stamina system, but they say, no, 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 it doesn't affect the main story. But that seems like a small concession. The fact that there's a stamina system at all is kind of a death knell to a lot of people's interest. Um, the game, of course, has a mechanic where you interface with other series heroes, including, of course, Ryza, because she's super popular, but Eshi, Laja, um, Rorona, all of them. So uh, they haven't you know, quite explicitly set... You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of mm -hmm. that, like, Tales of Cressaria game, if I'm getting the name right, where it's sort of yeah. like, it was basically advertised as, this is pretty much a mainline Tales game. It's got its own characters, it's got its own story, it's a mobile game, but it still has its own characters, its own story, but also you can play the gotcha system to get the other characters, you know, the fan favorite, you know, I want to roll for my favorite character from a past game or whatever, and then Cressaria died. So, I'm just saying... So, and yeah, there is still no formal Western announcement of this. Uh, it's coming out some point this year in Japan for PC and mobile, but no official date yet. I have no idea if anyone on site is interested in this game, but we'll keep reporting on it. I know our, our so, Atelier fan base, as soon as this was announced as like being mobile, they just sort of, I mean, on our, like, on our oh. staff, we're just like, oh, well, I can, I can forget about this one. Yeah, I'll wait for the next one, or I'll go back to another uh, one in the series Tales of that I missed. Tales what is that I was thinking of? Oh, uh, okay. Well, there's on. been there's been there's there's been enough of those Tales games that I'm I don't I don't keep them straight. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, we're nearing the end of the podcast here. Uh, that's the end of all of the trailer rundown. So we have, of course, all of those on the site. Um, so thank you. We've had a lot of people stepping in to do news um, over the last couple of weeks. We've had Josh and Josh and James and Adam and. Uh, others as well so thank you all for keeping up on all this uh all because it never really slows down like we're past the summer um we're past the summer deluge but we have you know packs right now tgs soon uh gamescom wasn't that oh long god. ago so it, oh fuck oh yeah, god yeah, he's actually <laughs> traveling like oh i got that yeah yeah um, yeah it's and, and there was gonna be another person that i was doing it with uh yeah he's actually done some freelance stuff for the site uh his pen name's double soul uh, just found out last night that he had car troubles, so he has to cancel doing TGS with me. So I'm flying solo. Yeah, I believe in TGS. you. TGS. <laughs> God. But we'll we'll wrap up here with a couple just release dates, uh, sales updates, the usual stuff at the end here. Here's one that's kind of good to see. Um, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim has now officially surpassed 1 million copies sold worldwide. So this originally released in uh, 2019 in Japan, 2020 in the US. It got a Switch port just last year in April. And this game was, if you listen to our Game of the Year deliberations 2020, I believe, it was it was in the running at the very end. Um, and it didn't win Best Story, but in hindsight, I played it after that podcast, and I think it should have. Basically, a game that we thought on the site in general very highly of. I know Josh especially. So the fact that this uh, little Vanillaware title was able to uh, reach a million copies sold eventually is really good news. So really cool for that. Still hoping for a PC port eventually. I think that'd be really cool. But it is at least now available on Switch. 
The second of the Wo Long DLCs is releasing at the end of the month on September 27th. This is Wo Long Conqueror of Jiangdong. So I did play the first DLC. It was exactly what you expect from uh, a Team Ninja Souls-like DLC. I'm guessing this one will be the same. Um, so uh, I was, I'll, I'm going to try to keep up to date on this because usually it's like spend an evening or two playing the new bosses, trying out the new weapon. I actually forget what the weapon type is for the second DLC is going to be. Do they say? Oh, maybe there is. I'm pretty sure this one was the first one. The punch, the fist. Yeah, the Cestus. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know if they've said it. So I'm not going to look it up now, but uh, I'm excited for it. We uh, got a release date finally for the Front Mission 2 remake. It'll be coming out on October 5th. For Switch. PC version for Switch, year, probably. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, one delay originally was slated for a generic 2023 release. The uh, HG remaster of Suikoden 1 and 2 has been formally pushed back to 2024, which I think didn't really surprise anyone. Well, I we, saw some we people were talking disappointed. about this last week, and we were basically saying, well, TGS is soon. Hey, you know what was announced at last TGS that we haven't heard from since? Suikoden remaster this. and we're like well mm -hmm. if we're going to hear about it again it'd probably be at this tgs and i guess i i don't know if we'll see it at tgs or not i mean they might still show a new trailer or something but we know it's not coming this year so they that, that was explicitly announced so yeah now we know i mean we still might get a trailer or something so 100 heroes is also slated for next year right i'm trying to let's see That'll be an interesting uh, um, kind of pairing there. Yeah, currently in Steam, Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes is Q2 2024. So, of mm -hmm. course, those two games are going to be compared uh, naturally and deservedly so. And that covers us for all of the news. So um, kind of no real theme, but thank you, uh, Adam and James, for covering all of those over the last week. Thank you all in general again for covering while I wasn't here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll go into September, basically have a lot of new games to talk about each week. Hopefully we'll get Josh back next week and ciao. Uh, we'll see. I should be here. I assume Adam and James will be here as well. All of the articles that we talked about, as well as all the trailers that we could only describe and react to and not actually show, are all up on the site at rpgsite.net. You can find RPG site on all the social media platforms. Um, we're trying to be more active on Facebook recently, but we're on still on the site formerly known as Twitter and Instagram uh, and on YouTube as well. Uh, you can join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our of the homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG site. And we will be back uh, next week with another episode of the Tetracast. If you enjoy this uh, podcast, please give us a rating on your podcast service of choice. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can do that. Uh, on the on that site or on the podcast we love reading those tell us what we're doing well tell us what we're doing poorly um we love seeing those any chance we get but until you hear from us next time stay safe and take care and we'll talk to y'all later bye everyone